This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, the 13th, January 13th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. With me on the phone for the first time in 2023, Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. How are things in the Fort Smith Metro, Michael? Things are things are good, I guess, unless you're a uh, TCU Horn Frog fan. Uh, other than that, I think things are well. That did I didn't realize until a couple of days after that game ended that was the biggest margin of victory in any bowl game ever. Well, I think to call it a game is yeah. to, to play fast and loose with that law, real, uh, word. So that was I don't know. Maybe they'll get that playoff thing figured out by next year. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, something. I guess some pipes in Fort Smith are fast and loose. We've had a water leakage uh, for some time, and it doesn't seem to be going away. No, it, it, it's not. Um, this Tuesday, the Fort Smith Board of Directors uh, a study session or presentation from the city's utilities director, Lance McAvoy, um, has a hell of a job, by the way. I mean, in terms of everything he's got to try to balance, he's working in aging infrastructure, a consent decree, uh, and on and on. But but essentially, again, it's an aging infrastructure. They have a shortage of city workers. They had this deep winter freeze in, you know, December. Um, but for the year, they had a 43, almost a, well, over 43% increase in water leaks. Had a pending list of 371 leaks at the end of the year. And they had a 110% jump in emergency water shutoffs, although a significant bulk of that was in December during the freeze. For example, oh, yeah. they have 300 shutoffs in December of this year compared to just nine um, last year. So, um, I mean, that gives you an idea of what was going on. But the leaks, that's the major thing. You know, last, um, in September 21, it got so bad that the city agreed to contract with Forest Green, this enforcement-based construction company, a little over $3 million contract to them to help. And they have, um, the city was able to, address a lot more leaks um, this year, but it just keeps growing. Again, it's this aging infrastructure. For example, back of what we said, that they've kind of discovered over the last couple of years, they have more than 20 miles of galvanized pipe that they got to looking back that the city uh, 20-something years ago had said they were going to get rid of it all because it's, you know, galvanized pipe over time just essentially comes apart so but the city never did it 20 years ago so they're kind of catching up on that that's about a 10 million to 20 million dollar pro, uh, problem and the reason there's such a range is you don't really know until you start digging to see you know what the costs are um, they have to replace more than 30 uh, 63 miles of this asbestos concrete pipe which for many reasons it needs to go so they're just struggling to catch up and the, there's some city board members who are still there they understand what lance and his crew are up against for example and i should go back the city has budgeted for 40 workers in this in the uh, leak and maintenance uh crews um, but they're 16 short you know they're just running with 24 folks and he talked about over the christmas holidays when they were having the shutoffs and busted pipes that supervisors were coming in off vacation and getting in city vehicles and running out and helping shut water off and do other things. So 
they're just short. And I, that's not city of Portsmouth issue. That's a nationwide issue in terms of trying to find labor. The city board members are, again, they're patient, but I think some of them are losing that patient. I talked patients. I talked to LaVon Morton and he was pretty blunt. He said, he's not happy with the pace of the leak repair. He wants faster action. He talked about, you know, he wants more creative solutions. Um, and he, he said that he's tired of some of his constituents coming to him and said, look, I called six months ago on this leak and I've yet to see anybody come out and address it. You know, it's a, and look, it's a multi-million dollar issue for the city and it's one we're going to, we're obviously going to keep watching. Well, let's stay on the subject of water and talk about the Arkansas River and the tonnage that is being shipped along it. It continues to go up, especially the amount of iron and steel that's coming up the river. Yeah, the iron and steel and sand, gravel, and rock continues to really drive shipments. Um, overall, tonnage along the Arkansas River, which stretches from where the river uh, meets the Mississippi River all the way up to the Port of Catoosa, it's 445 miles long. But shipments along that route were up uh, just under 3%, which it's a pretty good number because in 20, last year, uh, the tonnage was up 4%. So we had two good years of pretty good gains uh, along the river. So in 2022, last, it's almost hard to say last year, 2022, but uh, there was a little over 11 million tons shipped, again, 2.9% uh, higher. And yes, uh, sand, gravel, and rock was almost 4 million tons. That was up over 6%. Iron steel, uh, 1.1 million tons, up almost 13%. You're seeing, and sand, gravel, and rock, again, that's a construction industry uh, roads, um, that type of thing, some of the foundational elements of an economy, iron steel. I've been told by port operators that that's a reflection of when the Biden administration lifted some of the steel tariffs, iron and steel tariffs, that those shipments were able to pick back up again. Uh, and that supports a lot of manufacturing in Arkansas. So anyway, it's good to see uh, some of the port operators, again, like Marty Shell, who manages the port of Fort Smith and Van Buren, Says they're seeing a little bit of weakness in early, early part of this year. But it's just because people are hesitating, but they're confident that uh, 2023 will be just as good, if not better, uh, a year as 2022. So let's, I guess, for the sake of the overall economy, let's hope they're correct. Is there any way 2023 will be better than 2022 when it comes to building permits for the Fort Smith Metro? We set a record in 2022. Yeah, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. We not only set a record, we blew past the previous record, which was in 2021, of $343 million. This year's record was $480.3 million. I mean, that, that's a big difference. And again, you know, you have the ongoing $100 million expansion of Simmons Foods and Van Buren, uh, the ongoing $162 million project, the uh, Mercy Fort Smith expansion, and I could go on. There just There were several really big ticket items that just hit this year. Uh, I've been covering this area for well over 20 years and I, I don't want to say it's completely unique, but it's been a long time since I've seen so many big ticket items hit. So I, Kyle, I just don't see the region, especially with higher interest rates coming on or, or that have come on. Um, I don't see another $480 million year. And we're looking these permit values are for Fort Smith, Greenwood, and Van Buren. And all three cities were up, had healthy gains. It wasn't just one city over the other. So um, it's a good sign 
for the economy, all of that construction activity also drives sales tax revenue, um, you know, creates jobs, uh, and, and improves property tax value. So there's all kinds of ancillary effects, but yeah, it was a hell of a year uh, if you're in the construction business at Enforcement Metro. Finally, there is a new board member with the U.S. Marshals Museum. What can you tell us about her? Yeah, Cynthia Coglin, um from Bentonville, Northwest Arkansas area, uh, was recently appointed to the Museum Foundation Board of Directors. I, you know, I've known her for a while, just through probably 10 or 15 years. Um, I, you know, Kyle, every once in a while you run into somebody who just is a dynamo. They have it together, smart, well-connected, good people, you know, always, you know, focused on how do we, you know, make everything and how do we make the world around us a little better? She's one of those folks. uh, And I was very pleasantly surprised to see her not only uh, appointed, but that she said yes, because she has plenty of things on her plate as usually uh, people who are successful do. Um, but so it's, I hope it, hope it's a good fit. She'll be able to help that foundation raise more money. Um, she's excited about the, the museum. She's excited about what it can mean for the state tourism industry. When I was on the phone with her, she talked about how it connects Northwest Arkansas and Little Rock and Fort Smith and kind of a, a tourism triangle, so to speak. So anyway, uh, Cynthia Coughlin will be a, a, a damn good addition to that museum foundation board. All right, that wraps up the first of our 2023 conversations. I don't know, 49 or 50 to go. You going to come back next week? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, if you'll have me, sure. All right, Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. You can read about all of these stories and many more at talkbusiness.net. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Driving through the Ozarks or the Arkansas River Valley, you might roll past a place with a community building, cemetery, a couple of houses, and maybe a couple old buildings. Some of these areas used to be thriving towns, but as industries left and community hubs like schools closed, the towns faded. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports that historians are looking into towns no longer in their heyday, such as Sulphur Springs in Yale County. It's sunny and still in Harkey Valley, and in her rubber boots, Meredith Martin Motes is picking up outside from where she bathed her dogs earlier. Her neighbors are also taking advantage of the weather. Sorry, that happens sometimes. It's funny. Motes is a historian who lives in the house her father built in an area in Yell County where her family has lived for three generations on a road with a famous name without a sign. Motes says the sign of the road, Copperhead Road, has not been replaced for about 10 years. And I don't know how many times they repeated putting a sign up and having it stolen, but I do know at some point... They just started make, putting this on really high, like really high up. You see where that stop sign is? It was like way higher than that, just abnormally and weirdly high, which I'm assuming, to, I guess, to keep people from stealing it. Uh, and then that one got stolen. Never come back from Copperhead Road. Next to the valley is Sulphur Springs, known for its sulfur-rich waters, which were believed to treat kidney and stomach issues. A resort opened in the 1840s and a community formed. Later in the 1900s, as the logging economy diminished, so did Sulphur Springs. After piling into the car for a quick tour, Motes drives north on Copperhead Road and turns left. Um, and that, yeah, that old house 
my grandparents were actually married on the front of that house. It was a store for a while, and then it was a house, and then it was a store again, and I don't know what all. Next to these old, weathered, boarded-up structures and lived-in homes, there are newly built brick houses with freshly paved driveways. Moats pulls off on the edge of the Ozark St. Francis National Forest and Parks to Harkey Valley Cemetery. Moats weaves through the mossy headstones, field stones, and new grave decorations underneath its tree. And I just, I don't know, I feel like I learned a lot from my family out here because they were like, the only reason I know all the history I know is because they just like, would drag me out here and then tell me over and over and over again. I heard it every year. You know what I mean? Like, you're yeah. like, I've heard that story 85 times. What's so. left of Sulphur Springs is what some drivers might see passing through former small towns, a cemetery, community, or church building. Like Moats, Abby Burnett collects history. Burnett, a self-described Wednesday Adams, is a member of the Association for Gravestone Studies and spends some of her time visiting and analyzing cemeteries. I have been to, and I do keep account of this, it's obsessive, but I've been to 1,300. That's 1,300, 1,300 different cemeteries. There are ones I go back to over and over and over again. I mean, I would, if I lived in Little Rock, I'd be inside Mount Holly pretty much every day. But the local cemeteries, certain ones, Evergreen in Fayetteville, are ones I go back to. So 1,300 different cemeteries, and that's just Arkansas. For Burnett, gathering this information about small towns begins with a level of awareness. Paying attention to the size of streets or materials used in cemeteries, Burnett says, can reveal information about the people and eventually the place. First of all, how big is it? You are in a, basically a crossroads with maybe a church and a few houses, and you see an enormous cemetery. You know there was a population base at one time whether it was the timber industry or mines or whatever drew people, when you have either one huge cemetery or lots of small ones clustered together, you know that there was once a lot more people than there are now. Whether it's because of urbanization or job attractions, populations continue to shift. Northwest Arkansas has the largest year-over-year job growth since October 2021, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Also, its cities remain the fastest growing in the state. Over time, nationally and smaller or rural towns, populations decreased from 2010 to 2020, according to the census. Well, I think especially where I spend most of my time, which is in north central Arkansas, you pretty much just point at a map and you're pointed at a forgotten, fading, small town, I think. And that's probably true of, of much of rural America in general. This is Brooks Blevins, a professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State University. A couple of years ago, Blevins did a survey of country stores in the Ozarks. He says for a community school to be consolidated, for its post office route to end, or having something like a main store close pushes the area to be more isolated. And I know uh, the high school that I went to was closed down in the most recent school consolidation wave. And, you know, it's really, really changed the dynamics of that little place. It's a town of fewer than 500 people, and it just, you know, it doesn't have the same vibe anymore. It doesn't have the same community cohesiveness that it did. It doesn't have a sort of a mission 
anymore. You know, that school was the center of that community and, and it's gone now and probably, you know, gone forever. Blevins also says there are some places that do not have a traditional community hub like a school, but are doing well. For instance, in McClurg, Missouri, it holds a weekly music event at its old country store that is no longer a store. Blevins said his friend bought the store when it was for sale. To make sure that old store building remained a place where people would gather on weekends and play music and kind of keep that tradition alive. And I know it probably just differs from town to town. There are examples where there's a relatively healthy, vibrant kind of local culture going on. And it almost always just depends on special people, people who have taken it upon themselves to make sure that's the case. Back in Harkey Valley, Motes makes her last stop at an artesian well before ending the tour at her house. The well, when it rains, still overflows with egg-smelling water. So we're in a drought, obviously. It's probably not flowing over, but this is a sulfur well. See that stuff on top? Mm-hmm. That's sulfur. And it's probably for moats gathering this information is not just about discovering stories and finding personal connections it is also about using the past to become aware and inform current decisions i'd like to be able to kind of connect it to the larger history of arkansas and then ultimately to the larger history of the south and then taking it even one step further i'd like there to be some story connection in there like how do we use this information and make decisions now to create a more just society when you look back and be like, okay, like these are the things that were happening then and these are the decisions that people were making or felt forced to make. What are the issues of our own times? For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. The Arkansas House of Representatives underwent a day of preliminary matters yesterday. Josie Lenora with our partner station KUAR has more. House Speaker Matthew Shepard guided the passage of a rule bill for the 94th General Assembly. The bill undoes rule changes made during the last legislative session, which happened at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. The rule forced lawmakers to ask a chair to schedule their bills in committee, now the legislature is reverting to the original system, where proposed bills are put straight on the committee's agenda without the chair having to first schedule it. Shepard told reporters he worked with the House parliamentarian to craft the rule reversal. And going back to the old rule, we're probably erring on the side of making sure that members feel like they've had the opportunity to bring that legislation forward. And so uh, that in that way, I believe you know, it's a positive and that's something ultimately that's positive for the public. The bill also includes other small rule changes, such as updated language on filing deadlines. The bill passed with only one no vote from Republican Representative Hope Hendren Duke. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is keeping busy during her first days in office. Shortly after being inaugurated on Tuesday, she signed seven executive orders dealing with topics ranging from education to language used in state materials. On her first full day as governor, on Wednesday, she signed a new executive order on education. The executive order was part of Sanders' LEARNS initiative, which stands for literacy, empowerment, accountability, readiness, networking, 
and school safety. The order calls for research to be done into different education topics, such as how to better deal with teacher shortages and improve workforce readiness. Regarding educators, the governor says she wants to, quote, redo the accountability system. The executive order also focuses on how to improve literacy rates in Arkansas, including requiring teachers to use a, quote, science of reading phonics curriculum. Education Secretary Jacob Oliva says he hopes the order will empower parents to make educated choices for their children. Expanding choice opportunities for families is critical. Families have a right to have a seat at the table and find a learning environment that works best for their children and for the needs of those families. Secretary Oliva says the executive order will give him a better picture of the state's educational system so he can make more school choice recommendations in the future. The order also calls for new policies to help expand effective charter schools and for a review of how much access the public has to school districts' curricula and required reading. Arkansas health officials are continuing to report high transmission levels of the flu this season. The latest weekly flu report from the Arkansas Department of Health shows more than 19,000 positive cases have been reported since October. Around 3% of emergency room visits were attributed to the flu. Flu-related deaths are up by 8 from the previous week to 116, including one pediatric death. The department says most of those who died were unvaccinated. It is Friday. It is Friday the 13th, and it is time for our first 2023 visit with Becca Martin-Brown, who is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy New Year, Becca. Hi, Kyle. Should I be worried that it's Friday the 13th? Not in the least. Should our listeners be worried that they got me back on Friday the 13th? No. This, in fact, proves that Friday the 13th (laughs) is not a bad thing. Oh, thank you. So did you make a New Year's resolution or more than one? I made one, yes. It is to invest more in friendships. I I tend to uh, work more and friend less. And and I will tell you, this is not a unique resolution. This may be the fourth year out of six that I've made this. But but so far, 13 days in, I think I've done pretty well. One of my resolutions was to write one story a week, because I write a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but to write one that I really give my heart to. How have you been doing and so I've far? And I've had three. Oh, good. I've had three in the last couple of weeks that I want to talk about, and we'll talk about stuff going on this weekend. Have you, are you aware of the film that is being made in Northwest Arkansas called Wonderland Cave? I'm aware. It's being made by a filmmaker named Krista Bradley, whose first memory of movies is her grandparents' video rental store in Goshen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she had been out west. The pandemic hit. She came back to northwest Arkansas and was looking for a place to set a story that she had in her head about a jazz singer who's also involved in running moonshine. And if you don't know about Wonderland Cave, Google the Encyclopedia of Arkansas and read about it. Did you ever go when it was an operating? uh, No, I've never been inside it. Yeah, I went uh, in its waning days, um, you know, when when they served adult beverages. And you can see the trailer. All that exists right now is a script and a trailer. But she's taking that script to Sundance. 
Oh. This month. Okay. And she has a trailer to go with it, which most of the people in this script competition don't have. So you can read all about it in What's Up a Week Ago, and you can see the trailer for it at nwaonline.com slash 1823wonderland. Then I got to write a story about Chad Burris. He's a guy from the River Valley who grew up doing shows like with the Young Actors Guild, Mm -hmm. and he's just wrapped his third Broadway show. Well, that's pretty cool. It's not cool that it wrapped. He was in Almost Famous, and it opened in November and closed in January. Oh, well. But, But cool that he has been in three Broadway productions. Yeah. Impressive. I mean, yeah. Went to high school in the River Valley, went to Washita Baptist University to study musical theater, was in Frozen. Then he was in Mean Girls for three performances before the pandemic shut it down. Mm. Mm. And then he was cast in Almost Famous as part of the original cast. I just think it's incredibly exciting that people from here are doing things like that. And then there's Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Green Dragon. Okay, now you've got me stumped. It is a new addition to the Sherlock Holmes canon. Mm -hmm. Written by a professor of criminal justice at John Brown University in Salem Springs named Miguel Rivera. Interesting. And it's fabulous. (laughs) Now you, this is high praise from you because you are kind of a Sherlock Holmes, um, you know... Devotee. I am a fan, and I am a purist, as we've argued about before. Yes, we have. <laughs> if it didn't come from the original canon, I may or may not be happy about it. So, so what? This, what? What puts you over the top with this one? Because okay, first of all, I think it's because I read it in a printed book. Gotcha. I understand that. But also, had I not known it wasn't part of the original story. I'm not sure I would have known it wasn't. It is currently available at mxpublishing.com, which is a publishing house that publishes a lot of Sherlock Holmes-related books. But after February 10th, it will also be available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. And then there's all the things going on this weekend, the first of which... It's happening tonight at Fort Smith Brewing Company. I love it. They're calling it Midnight Brew. Starts at 6 o'clock, runs to midnight, and it's for those who are superstitious about Friday the 13th. Okay. You pay 50 bucks, you get beer, I think you get food, I think they encourage costumes. I think it'll be fun. And where is this? This is Fort Smith Brewing Company. But where is that? In Fort Smith. (laughs) Okay. All right. Google the address, folks. <laughs> Google the address. Look at fortsmithbrewing.com. All right. <laughs> I'm not telling people addresses. Everybody Googles. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I was, that was a, I was actually just interested myself where it is. Tonight, there's also an indie film showcase, Central and South America, the first in the Walmart Center's film series curated by the Fayetteville Film Festival. That happens at 8 o'clock tonight at the Walmart Center. Tickets are $15. And Saturday and Sunday, they're having Northwest Arkansas Comic Con. 
at the Rogers Convention Center. Yeah. 10 to 6 tomorrow, 11 to 5 on Sunday. Tickets are $30 and up. There's also a Wizard of Oz movie day starting tomorrow at 1030 at the Springdale Public Library. They're going to have the movie and costumes and props and bubbles and themed crafts and everything Wizard of Oz. Also opening tomorrow at the Rogers Historical Museum, two new exhibits, From Portraits to Polaroids, a selection of photographs and cameras that illustrate the evolution of photography, and the etiquette of courtship, which is themed Valentine's Day-ish tours of the Hawkins House. By the way, Fort Smith Brewing Company is at 7500 Fort Chaffee Boulevard. I knew that. I knew it was at Fort Chaffee. I'm sorry, guys. I just figure y'all Google. You're right. You're right. I was just wanting to know for me. Becca Martin-Brown is the Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Let's get together on Friday the 20th. What a good idea. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. On Tuesday, we heard from Emma Wiederhoft, Assistant Director with the Center for Community Engagement which oversees the Jane B. Gerhardt Full Circle Food Pantry on the U of A campus. Full Circle was founded back in February 2011, so we're coming up on our 12th anniversary next month, which we're all super excited about. Full Circle has kind of been driven by this motto of nourishing bodies, empowering minds, and building a community of compassion. But a really cool thing about Full Circle is that the operations are fully student-run, And that leadership model consists of a nine-person student board and around 65 volunteers a semester. With students already coming back, as classes begin on Tuesday, Emma says the need for extra student volunteers is high right now. Every semester, we put out um, an application for weekly semester-long volunteer opportunities. Those applications um, currently will be closing January 19th for this semester um, for review and then a notification out to the applicants. They're generally client-facing and range from filling orders to delivering to our satellite express locations, tending the garden, um, filling holiday baskets, or even inventorying donated or purchased products. The Jane B. Gerhardt Full Circle Food Pantry has been serving up to 1,200 individuals and households each month lately. Emma says that jump may be due to cost of living and inflation. She says there are opportunities for those outside of the campus to participate as well. We have plenty of one-time volunteer opportunities available for those folks who are off campus. Um, Those typically run around two hours and can focus on preparing the pantry in some kind of way. Last semester, we welcomed groups to help us portion bulk items, organize and sort food by best by date, um, and complete a thorough inventory. Um, In addition, we are always looking for one-time volunteer groups to help after large donations have been received to process those items. Emma Wiederhoft with the university's Center for Community Engagement. Anyone can donate to the pantry. Just go through the University of Arkansas Giving Portal online. If you're a student and want to help out this semester, you can send an email to pantry3 at uark.edu. That's pantry, the number three, at uark.edu. This week, we heard from John Newman, Executive Director of Lifestyles, helping adults with disabilities live self-directed lives in our community. They have another art exhibit up and open to the public. They've teamed with Phoenix Arts on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville to host Vivid Intentions, an art exhibit featuring artwork from Lifestyles clients. John says this is something they've done often. Well, we try to collaborate with a lot of uh, local galleries from 
uh, in Benton and Washington County. And so, you know, our wonderful art teachers, Joelle and Roz, are always out in our community trying to show uh, what our clients can do. And so we've been able to pair with uh, Phoenix Gallery at Mount Sequoia for this show. And, um, you know, it's just a wonderful example of the artistic ability that a lot of our clients have in our art program. And the program has been uh, so wonderful, a wonderful addition to our program and has done a lot to increase the level of independence for the clients that we support. Uh, have you seen some of the work? I've seen a lot of it, and it is fantastic. And once again, i got to give all the credit to Joelle and Roz, our art teachers. They really have done such a great job elevating the skills, uh, the artistic skills of, of the program. And it, it, it's a fantastic show, and I encourage everyone to go out and see it. John Newman with Lifestyles. The exhibit Vivid Intentions will be on display at Phoenix Arts through the month of January. You can find more on Lifestyles at lifestylesinc.org. And for more information on Phoenix Arts, that's phoenixarts.org, F-E-N-I-X-Arts.org. And we wrapped up the week with a visit from one of the area's newest nonprofit groups, Team River Runner. It's one of 40 such groups nationwide. They cater to veterans, active duty, and their families with what's called adaptive paddle sports. We heard from Mike Lira and Lonnie Fagan of Team River Runner. Well, I'm a paddler, and I'm also a Navy veteran. And I saw an article in uh, an Arkansas publication about Team River Runner. And I thought, this is an organization that I might want to get involved with. So I messaged the national team, and they let me know that I could start a chapter here in Northwest Arkansas. Well, Lonnie and I are friends. We belong to the sailing club of Beaver Lake, and uh, we just enjoy outdoor activities, and she invited me, and, and I'm a Navy veteran as well, and I thought, you know, this is a great organization to get into and, and really just have a purpose in life, and, and I'm hoping to invite a lot of veterans into the organization and, and, and really just have some fun. Uh, we welcome veterans of any age uh, and any disability. We can provide all the equipment needed, boats, paddles, life jackets, and the future is it's all about training and to get everybody ready to to paddle safely um, enjoy uh, the, the company and and really kind of training the people that are involved in it and also the the veterans that are coming in so we anticipate an event every month of course the weather dictates what we're going to do and then you know summer months coming up spring coming up boy we're looking forward to the water being up and having fun mike lira and lonnie fagan with team river runner they hope to host monthly training sessions for volunteers as well as for veterans active duty and their families who would like to participate you can find out more at team river runner Org. The Community Spotlight on KUAF, highlighting the best of our friends and neighbors and the work they're doing, can be heard weekday mornings at 631 and 831 here on Ozarks at Large and shared on our social media platforms. I'm Pete Hartman. We'll have more next week on the Community Spotlight. Your voice matters. In the background is Cuban pianist Elio Villafranca, and I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll be hearing more from Elio. He'll be performing at Walton Arts Center on January 27th. We'll also hear from Larry Young, Sonny Stitt, Luciana Souza, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF.
Shades of Jazz, tonight at 10 on KUAF and tomorrow at 11 a.m. on KUAF 3. Tomorrow night, the Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville will host a fundraiser to send this year's representatives from the Ozark Blues Society to the International Blues Challenge in Memphis. The band, the Downtown Livewires. The Livewires will be playing tomorrow night, as will Buddy Shooting the Motivators. The Motivators CD, You Gotta Move, is the Ozark Blues Society's winning record this year to represent the region in Memphis. This week, Buddy came to the Furman Garner studio with two of the motivators, Brenda and Steve Baskin. I asked Buddy to tell us more about tomorrow night's show. The Blues Foundation in Memphis, Tennessee, sponsors this uh, challenge, and each uh, local blues society, there are thousands all over the globe, designate somebody to send to Memphis for the uh, challenge, which is the end of January. And this year, the downtown live wires have been chosen to represent the Ozark Blue Society in Memphis. And they also have a, a category for CD, best produced CD. And we happen to be representing the Ozark Blue Society in that category with our new CD, You Gotta Move. And this is a fundraiser to finance the the trip to Memphis. So let's talk about You Gotta Move. Yeah. Uh, when was it recorded and where? We recorded it during the pandemic. And Buddy just got super recording crazy because we couldn't go out and, and play in venues. So he actually put out three CDs, <laughs> three EPs during the pandemic. And the one that he did with the band was You Gotta Move. And it's all original, oh, with the exception of one song. They're all originals, and uh, we recorded them at East Hall. And Chris Moore had it all set up so that it was pandemic-friendly in the studio. And we had a great time, and nobody was hurt. So, <laughs> <laughs> When you say it was pandemic-friendly, so was it like plexiglass or... How did he do, how did he, how would you say he changed the studio? Um, I don't know. He had a booth, <laughs> and then he just made it so that there were curtains up. Everybody had to wear a mask. If he even felt like it was going to be iffy, we, we didn't go in. But he was... He was extra careful. Extra, yeah, yeah. A lot and of he, disinfectant. And I know that instead of going in individually and stuff, we all sort of stood a little ways away from the mic in the center of a room, which was different than when we recorded our last CD. And... I think that was the big change, was that we recorded it all (coughs) together. One thing I'm very happy is that you still, every time, I love walking in and there will be in my mailbox a new CD from Buddy. It seems like it's every other month, and I am not complaining. But you still do the physical CDs. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. Well, well again, Chris Moore at East Hall Studio is, uh, makes it very easy. He's very helpful and uh, he, he kind of knows what we're after so we don't have, all we have to do is play and he kind of puts it together and makes us sound good but also that has to do with our age and a lot of the, <laughs> our listeners age you know they still have cd players and it was a big learning curve like we don't even know what a flash drive is <laughs> <laughs> we're learning but that has a lot to do we're, we're not so much polite as ignorant about technology but i get the sense and i've had buddy you've been in the studio with me a handful of times and i've talked to the two of you i get a sense that there is a laid-back quality 
anyway among you, that you get along and that, I like what you said, you just get in and play. Yeah, we all met, uh, we have some friends in Madison County that uh, throw a party once or twice a year, and, and, that, and we used to show up and just play at the party. And we were having such a good time, we just said, well, why don't we just do this more often, you know? And that's the seed, that's where everything came from. So what you're saying is true. Buddy is really especially laid back. And if you say, I can't do that, I'll mess that up. He just says, oh, no, have you ever listened to an old blues record? They mess up all the time. It's always imperfect. Buddy's super down with imperfect, which makes it easier for the rest of us. (laughs) What's that like then in the studio? Because I know if you're playing live... You're playing live, and you just move on. So if you're in the studio and you didn't quite like it, what's that like with the band? Well, my wife, Brenda, she will go through many takes. Buddy and I, we're, you know, we've Don't done it a few that. times. And, uh, well, we're not singing. I get it right the first time every time. <laughs> right. Anyhow, it's, it's a lot more of a... I don't know how many times I've been in the studio and lots of CDs, so it's not a big deal, but Buddy's the same way. Buddy is the mechanic. He'll go through and he'll record his guitar part. He'll go through and record some leads. He'll go in and record some piano. Uh, Prolific musician, to say the least. Not everybody who's on the CD is with us in the studio today, right? Right. Who are we missing? Our friend Mark McGee plays harmonica, and he's... uh adventuring today <laughs> and we have uh our brother uh randy reese played drums that he's passed away a few months ago and he's he's on the cd that happened during so. the pandemic mm-hmm. and we, we now have uh tj gates playing drums with us and uh he wasn't able to be here today either but uh that's randy on the uh cd and then we have uh, matthew beach kind of helped us out on the uh he's a local he Plays everything. I was about to say, <laughs> you can just invite Matthew Beach into the studio and yeah, say, yeah. pick up this. Or yeah, yeah. He, 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 he uh, helped us out with the percussion, the congas and such. Yeah. And then Buddy has like a man crush on this guy named Keith Hubbard, who <laughs> is a New Orleans. He's played a lot in New Orleans, which Buddy did too. And uh, he's a phenomenal keyboard player. So whenever Buddy does anything, he gets Keith to come from Kentucky and uh, do some keyboards, right? Mm-hmm. Am I getting that yep, right? Yep, yep. So he's on there. I'm going to ask the three of you to play a couple tunes here in a minute. But what what else should we know about Saturday Night at the Meteor? How do you, how do you show up? How do you how do you support? The doors open at six. This is at the Meteor Guitar Gallery, which is the old Meteor Movie Theater. It's just a block off the square there in in Bentonville. The doors open at six. The music starts at seven. There will be the Jeff Horton Band and the Downtown Live Wires and the Motivators, music all evening. It's going to be a party. You can get tickets on Eventbrite. If you go to the Buddy Shoot and the Motivators page, Facebook page, we have mm-hmm. a link to the tickets. And I can't remember how much are the tickets. They're 25 35 And all the proceeds go to help get the Downtown Live Wires to Memphis. Excellent. All right, so, buddy, you've you've set this pace now that we expect. Yeah. I want to come in every other month and find a new buddy CD in some configuration. <laughs> Surely you're not going to keep that pace up, are you? It's on the way. Yep, yep. <laughs> I can play you all my phone memos of all the songs that he brings in. <laughs> yeah, and I think the last time you were here, I asked you about writing. You, 
you kind of said you're writing all the time, even if not formally. You're always, your subconscious is going. Right, yeah. I've, I've gotten a little more active about it lately because I kind of realize I'm running out of time. So I want to make the best the time left I have. Is that because the law is after you? <laughs> <laughs> I get that, though. I understand that. <laughs> Buddy Shoot, Brenda Baskin, and Steve Baskin from Buddy Shoot and the Motivators. They played for us while they were here two songs from their CD, You Gotta Move, including Someday, Baby, Someday, and the title track. One, two, three, four. Oh. Than a butter knife. The 
paycheck was steady, but I needed more. I turned in my notice and I walked out that door. You, you gotta, gotta move. move. Get up. Get out of your seat. You, you gotta, gotta move. move. To the groove. Can't you feel that beat? You, you gotta, gotta move. Get up. Get your friends and unite. Keep on moving till the feeling is right. You, you gotta, gotta move. move. Get up. Get out of your seat. You gotta move with a groove. Can't you feel that beat? You, you gotta, gotta move. Get up, step into the light. We're gonna have a party right here tonight. We're gonna have a party right here tonight. Ready, ready. ready.
Buddy Shoot Guitar, Brenda Baskin Vocals and Washboard, Steve Baskin Bass in the Furman Gardner Performance Studio, as recorded by our own Timothy Dennis. Tomorrow night's show at the Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville will include the full band, as well as the downtown Livewires and the Jeff Horton Band. Doors at 6, music starts at 7. More information at the Facebook page for the Ozark Blues Society. West Mills, North Carolina doesn't exist. You might feel like you've been there anyway. Everyone truly knows everyone. It doesn't mean everyone communicates, but people know who you are, and they can spot an outsider right away. Decent People, a story about murder in a small town, and all the latest news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, tomorrow morning from 7 until 9 on KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Rudy. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Michael Tilly, Pete Hartman, and Becca Martin-Brown. Timothy Dennis recorded and produced the musical session in Furman Garner Performance Studio with Buddy Shoot and the Motivators. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. All right. Uh, First week back. It was good to be back after our winter break. Yes, I um, I had an opportunity to go down and visit with my in-laws uh, over the holiday weekend, or the holiday break, I suppose. Um, good to get away from Northwest Arkansas for a little bit, but always delightful to come back. Well, very good. And we've got uh, brand new shows now until... Uh, until we don't, which yeah. is going to be a long time. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday, mm-hmm. and in years past, we've not had a new show on the holiday, but we will on Monday. Yeah, we've got uh, conversations from Randy Dixon. We've got a preview of Tootsie coming up as well. Lots right. of great stuff coming up on Monday right. show. And, of course, I'll be back with you on uh, Sunday morning at 9 with Weekend Ozarks at Large. Matthew, what happens if you miss an episode of Ozarks at Large? You can go to OzarksAtLarge.com and see all of the stories from the daily shows. You can see the full version of the radio show there as well. You can also find it in your podcast feed. Just search Ozarks at Large with whatever app you use. What if I'm just sitting at home with my smart speaker? Well, lucky for you, you can also just ask it to please play Ozarks at Large. All right, we'll be back with you next week.